Hello geeks, sweaters and birds of a feather. To those who sweat because it's geeky and those who geek to get sweaty. For this is your podcast giving you news, views and film reviews with one or two interviews on the side. We watch films to save you hassle. Welcome to Geek Sweat. Today we are presented by the awesome Akosh. Hi guys. The delicious King Dom. Hello. And the mendacious MKH Inc. Good day. I am the talismanic Trevor, and this is your podcast. So today, uh, we are now going to go into a different segment of uh, Geek Sweat, and we are also going to reintroduce you to an alternative co-host that we have by the name of, uh, we should actually give, I should give you a proper intro. I'm going to say, I've thought of an intro here. Go for it. It's Stephen Gold, 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 it's Stephen Gold. That actually is quite clever, actually, for what's coming up. Because Stephen is our man on point, man of the moment, expertise extraordinaire of cult TV, and specifically Doctor Who. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hi. Uh, you've been with us before doing Geek Sweat, but this is a time where we're going to get to see you kind of mastermind the shit out of one of the best TV series of British TV, it seems. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. So, um, without further ado, we are going to jump into Doctor Who. I just want to do a round table quickly. Um, MKH, what do you know or think about Doctor Who? It's on television. Yeah. It's about a guy that... That lives in a box. Yeah. Um, he has a a magic screwdriver, mm. and he, although he comes from a planet of doctors, he up until um, last Christmas he's always been a white man. Okay. So that's what I know. Cool. And who is your favourite doctor so far, if there is one? Uh, David Tennant. Cool. Akosh, uh, tell us what you think you know about Doctor Who. I, I never see any episodes. Perfect. <laughs> that, is a, that was like an atypical Akosh answer. Um, which will probably sorry, be... We'll have to hashtag. <laughs> we'll call that an a, atypical Akosh answer. Is going to be the new hashtag now. Uh, Dom, how about yourself? I've seen a fair bit of old school Doctor Who. And um, I was also quite excited to see it come back. So... I have seen most of the seasons of the new one as well. Mm. Favourite Doctor, weirdly enough, I do like, from the old Doctor Who, I do like the first Doctor because he has like this really ethereal quality. Mm. And um, it's like he actually remembers that he's playing an alien. There's something very other to him. And mm. um, yeah, it's quite an interesting performance. I mean, I guess Stephen's going to be going into that today. But yeah. I really like William Hartnell. He's a very odd actor mm. in a good way. Um, new Doctor Who, David Tennant, probably the same as most people. I don't know if anyone's got a different opinion about that. I think I've got a different opinion. Uh, what I think is 
Tom Baker is probably the Doctor who I get most excited about, but I think the one that I find most memorable for some reason is Christopher Eccleston, but I think that's because I was a fan of Cracker. Um, what I know of Doctor Who, uh, man that lives in a telephone box, uh, lots of accoutrements uh, and tools that he has inside that box to save the world, and um, he's got two hearts, and uh, yeah, as Gallifrey's in there somewhere, and obviously there's this kind of black hole kind of dimension space thing where the the TARDIS is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, but Stephen, blow our minds and take us away. <laughs> oh, well, I'll give you some context first because um, Doctor Who came, um, started in 1963, but the TV landscape just thought that had changed quite a lot. Up until the late 50s, um, there was just BBC One. And BBC One, uh, it's... Uh, program for the evening would might include like an orchestra and then like a live play then maybe a documentary and it was quite highbrow and this lasted up until the um itv was founded at the end of the 50s and itv was a was a purely commercial venture so they were going after viewers and um the bbc had to react to that because itv was becoming quite popular it, it had more lowbrow viewing it was it was more aimed at, at uh, um, the general public and not quite as lofty as BBC. Are you saying Love Island's producing ITV was not up to the same spec as BBC? <laughs> but the BBC had to react and the way they did that was to found a new channel which is BBC Two and BBC Two on BBC Two that's where the, the previous stuff that had been on BBC One would now go and BBC One is left over to be more popular um, and to be, to be a competition for ITV. Uh, one of the big things that BBC did was they nipped um, one of the main executives of ITV, Sidney Newman, is a Canadian. Um, they stole him from ITV and um, he was a big fan of science fiction. And it was him who first floated the idea of Doctor Who. It started off um, with him. He brought over from ITV, he brought a producer called Verity Lambert. And Verity Lambert had, um, there was an urban myth that um, a TV program had been broadcast in the late 50s and it was a live broadcast that someone had actually died during the um, recording and this actually happened and Verity Lava was the producer on that program mm. and she was able to cope by getting the dead actor off the off the set and also to um, being able to um, Was that a real hand, thing that happened? Yeah, hand his lines out to <laughs> other people in the What cast. a trooper so, mm. And so the, the actual live broadcast carried on even though one of the main actors had died So that's a real case but, of the show must go on Yeah, yeah, exactly and Sidney Newman was very impressed by this so he nicked her from ITV brought over to BBC One and made her the first producer of Doctor Who um, Verity Lambert went on to do EastEnders Yeah, she went on to do a lot of stuff um, Naked City Servant Minder um, El Dorado and Sidney Newman is the original kind of writer-producer of the 1961 version of The Avengers. Yeah, the event, he, I mean, that was one of the reasons the BBC nicked him, because The Avengers had gone on to be such a success. Mm. It was a show that he, um, that, that, that he came up with, and, and now he came up with um, Doctor Who. Doctor Who was an adventure serial. I mean, people call it sci-fi, but it's more of an adventure serial with sci-fi trappings. You know, it's not proper science fiction. Mm. And it was based around um, the first uh, the first episode featured um, two characters, two school teachers, and they're the antagonists of the first season. 
Um, in fact, for the first two seasons, the story of Doctor Who is Ian and Barbara, the two teachers, trying to get home. And, um, two teachers trying to get home? Yeah. Okay. So in the first episode, the Doctor kind of kidnaps them. The okay. Doctor's not a good, not a definite good figure yeah. at the start of Doctor Who. He's, he's kind of, he's almost an antagonist, the, the heroes are Ian and Barbara. So this is a little bit like Han Solo's introduction to Star Wars. Is it? Yeah, because he's, he's a space pirate, basically, who's stolen as the uh, Millennium Falcon. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Well, yeah, the first Doctor's kind of stolen the TARDIS as well, so this mm. is the thing. William Hartnell, of course, was, um, he was best known for military roles. Um, he, he appeared in such films as This Sporting Life and Brighton Rock, and he was also the, uh, the star of the first ever Carry On film, Carry On Sergeant. Okay. Um, that's back in 1958 so that's only three years before, three years before Doctor yeah. so he was kind of hot property coming into this series yeah, I wouldn't say it was hot property I mean he was an older actor and this is probably his last job I mean he'd never had a role like this before he'd always played kind of graph authoritarian types mm. and but he took this role because he had a granddaughter mm. and he thought she might like to see him on TV in a children's show sure so that's how he took that and um Another uh, thing that obviously that we have to mention is the TARDIS. Hmm. The TARDIS works because you have to get. Obviously, Doctor Who works in a way that each story has a different set and a different um, uh, guest cast. But isn't it kind of ironic that William Hartnell was in a TV series called Dial 999 and he ends up in a police box for the next 10 years of his career, sort of thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask uh, Stephen at this point how common or uncommon were police boxes at this point in Police boxes were pretty common at this time. So, but in the first episode, they actually find it in a junkyard, which is not a place you'd expect to find a, a police box. But um, yeah, so the TARDIS, obviously, the TARDIS, originally it was going to be an invisible spaceship, but Sydney Newman didn't like that idea at all. Okay. But they came up with the idea of the police box because obviously. For budgety reasons, um, it's just a very simple prop to just stick in the middle of a location. And there you go. Oh, so it's a budgeting decision, not a symbolic well, yeah, it's the one. Same like in Star Trek with the um, what do you call it? The captain's deck. The what? The transportation. Yeah, the transportation. Okay. It's a way to get you to the action quickly. Without Sometimes moving, you can just yeah. Land straight there and straight to the adventure. You know? Great you stuff. Have to worry about docking the spaceship or something like that, or. You know, straight in. But and it's visually, it's like the gift that keeps on giving because yeah. they've become less and less common and more and more exotic. Yeah. yeah. yeah the yeah. the thing is, the TARDIS was phasing in and phasing out a little bit like what Star Trek have kind of pinched with the um, phasing in and phasing out characters to transport them, isn't it? The teleportation yeah, yeah, device. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And, of course, uh, and that the other thing you'd notice about watching early dogs here is the theme tune. It was one of the first purely electronic themes recorded well before the availability of commercial synthesizers. Um, it was actually composed by a guy called Ron Granier, mm. but it was, actually, it was arranged by a lady called Delia Derbyshire, who was kind of a pioneer in electronic music. She used to use the um, music, concrete musicale um, approach to music making, which is kind of, it's like collage where you, you use bits of tape. Um, you can... Did, did Ron Grania do the um, soundtrack for um, The Prisoner as well? I think. Oh, yeah, I'm I getting that wrong. Yeah, I think he did the music for that as well. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but um, yeah, so they used the music concrete technique to um, realise the score. Each note was individually um, made using cutting, splicing, and playing with the speeds. Um, it's, uh, it's a theme tune like no other, really. Um, 
it's haunting, otherworldly, slightly scary. Mm. Uh, and they had a few complaints just about the themes you in the first first days. Really? Yeah. I'm guessing a few from well, Mary Whitehouse. scared people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's, that's, that, that, that's how Doctor Who, okay, so that's the beginning of Doctor Who. And what really made Doctor Who was the second story, the second story, which the end of 1963 was, was a story called The Daleks. Mm. And the Daleks were what really broke Doctor Who. Um, they became very popular that year. In 1964, there was a brief Dalek mania phase when Daleks were everywhere. There were two movies made based on Doctor Who scripts, starring Peter Cushing. Mm. There's a character called Doctor Who, who isn't quite the Doctor, but then isn't quite. Mm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they made two feature films out of that, and that was obviously one of the uh, great things about that was that people were able to see Daleks in colour for the first time. And um, Isn't there a strange thing? I'm not sure if you mentioned it already, but wasn't there a strange thing about Doctor Who where it was broadcast the day after President JFK oh, yeah, the first, got the first killed or something? Was, was broadcast the day after JFK was assassinated. Mm. So, and what a way to announce a new series, I suppose. <laughs> you know? um, of course, a feature of the, of the first Doctor's era that isn't prevalent in most of the other Doctor's is that there are many historical stories and these stories are stories where um, there's no science fiction element apart from the TARDIS arriving. They're, they're all set in Earth's past, so we go and explore. Mm. Um, there's, stone, there's one set in the Stone Age, there's one set in the uh, French Revolution, mm. there's one set during the Crusade, yeah. there's one set uh, with Romans. So this idea that it it's about a character trying to affect changes in the past. Is that taking it away from sci-fi or is it bringing it into it? It was, it was done because it, it, it was meant to be an educational series. Mm. So the kids could watch it and they could be entertained, but they could also learn something. Mm. So if you go back, I mean, there's a story in the first season called The Aztecs, mm. where the TARDIS crew end up with the Aztecs. The Aztecs believe that Barbara, the, one of the school teachers, is a god. Mm. And because of this, Barbara thinks that Oh, okay. If I'm a god, I can stop the Aztecs um, um, executing each other or, or the human sacrifices. And um, so that, that's the first story to bring up the whole can we change history and can we change history in Doctor Who? Mm. And so that was an interesting exploration of that. Mm. There's, um, in the second season, there was an, a story called The Web Planet which is one of the most boring stories you'll ever watch. It's about three hours long, but... There was a three-hour Doctor Who? It, oh, there's, there's, there's five, six-hour Doctor Who. That's crazy. Our episodes yeah. over oh, I was about to say, because yeah, that would yeah. just be the, the torture. Web, the Web Planet was... It was their first attempt to create a truly alien planet. So what they did, mm. they smeared uh, Vaseline all over the camera lenses. <laughs> <laughs> um, the characters, there was like a butterfly character, characters mm. that like giant butterflies, there was like ants, and no one mm. really talked. And um, the, the insects were choreographed by a lady called Rosalind the Winter, which meant... There was an insect the, wrangler. The, yeah, but <laughs> at the end, of, on the credits, it says um, insect movement by Rosalind the Winter. Really, I think she's stealing some good credit there. Those insects should probably get their um, back to rates sorted out. So th there's a lot of, I mean, the first, the first Doctor and the first Doctor era experimented more than any other era of Doctor Who. Really, I mean, even in the historicals, you have uh, 
you have stories like the Romans, and the Romans is basically a, a slapstick comedy, mm. four episodes long of them all, the four TARDIS crews all separated in Rome, mm. and the Doctor ends up with Nero as his fiddle player. Mm. And it's, it's, it's done as a comedy, it's actually still quite funny. Mm. Whereas then you get a story like The Massacre, mm. which is set um, when the Huguenots were getting kicked out of France by the Catholics. Yeah. And there was a massacre on St. Buff, um, St. What are the Huguenots? Sorry? What are the Huguenots? Huguenots were the um, Protestant French. Yeah. French Protestant. There is a Huguenot street in London. It's yeah. by Brick Lane. They all settled there because yeah. they were weavers. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying this because for some of our listeners, we need to know the difference between the real characters in history and the char- the aliens that are getting made up there by the Daleks. aliens called Huguenots. Yeah. Also, I believe that massacre is also the basis of the film Lorraine Margot. Excellent. Which is a slightly different treatment of the same subject. Well, you yeah. might think so, but the massacre, the Doctor Who story, is one of the... No one survives the story apart from Steve and the Doctor's companion mm. um, everyone yeah everyone dies it's very bleak it's, it's, bas- it's done as a historical drama mm. um, Stephen uh, starts the story <coughs> he loses the Doctor and yeah. the whole story is him okay. trying to find the Doctor again but getting more caught up in in, in the um, machinations before the massacre on St. Bonaparte Okay. and uh, the Doctor isn't in it but William Hartnell is in it playing a guy Called the, Am- the Abbot of Ambrose, okay. who is the bad guy of the piece. So it's quite surreal. Yeah, yeah, but um, it, it's very brutal. And mm. It doesn't actually exist anymore, but you can listen to the soundtrack, and um, the soundtrack is very affecting. Um, another thing about the massacre is one of the famous things about the Hartnell era was William Hartnell's fluffed lines because he couldn't remember his lines that well. Was he fluffing lines and they were included, or yeah, he had to yeah, retake? Yeah. I'm not a mountain goat, and I prefer waiting to any day, and I hate climbing. Okay. So is this the issue because Doctor Who was recorded live it was recorded and broadcast? Live. Was record, so, broadcast so immediately. And a lot of Hartnell's lines were mm. he over. But in the massacre, mm. where he plays the villain, the Abbot yeah. of Ambrose, no fluffs at all. Do you it think? Makes you wonder whether he's actually doing that on purpose. I mean, the interesting thing, like, I mean, yeah, what you're saying there is like. Um, it's because William Hartnell seemed to be like a very theatrical actor and like maybe Doctor Who was beyond the realms of his imagination because I know that is it Sir Alec Guinness when he played um, Obi-Wan Kenobi he didn't 100% believe in the Star Wars project and he just thought it was just like a passing phase before he went on to his next gig and um, lo and behold it became one of his biggest projects do you think um, William Hartnell kind of took to Doctor Who as this is only going to be a couple of years and then I'll be on he, to another he, he gig. He fell in love with the role because he was stopped in the street by kids all the time. He, mm. he absolutely enjoyed it. He, he never had this recognition in his career before even though he had maybe bigger roles in bigger films. Mm. And um, but he, he completely enjoyed it. And it's quite tragic that he had to be forced out of Doctor Who. I'm just, as we come to the end of this little um, oh, wow. um, journey into William Hart, William Hart and also two seasons he had two seasons with Ian and Barbara, the school teachers I mentioned earlier. Mm. Uh, Ian and Barbara leave at the end of season two. They actually find a, a Dalek time machine with which they get back to mm. their own time. Um, mm. which, um, the doctor comes up with the line, um, uh, you'll just end up with two cinders floating around in Spain mm. when they get in the TARDIS. I mean, there seems to be quite a bit of tragedy in. William Hartnell's connection with um, 
Doctor Who, because not only does he seem to be the longest serving single Doctor, but it appears that he... Who, who's the longest serving single Doctor? Tom Baker. Tom Baker, okay. But, um, oh, thanks for correcting me there. But it seems like he's lost a lot of episodes from the BBC... Oh, yeah, yeah, Patrick 1970s Trowling, Purge. Patrick Trowling's successor has lost far more episodes than... Why do you think that is? Um, they were reusing the tapes because they didn't see any uh, commercial reasons for keeping the tapes. So at the time, they weren't even thinking like we need to archive this and no, keep it separate. No, not BBC had no archive. Wow. Uh, no, well, they, they had no uh, thoughts about the um, invention of videotapes or video recorders. So does this like that? They never saw the, uh, the, the TV programs might be able to be bought and sold. So this basically means that. There's several episodes. I mean, for Patrick Troughton, who are we coming to there's, it I think soon? There's 79 at the moment. I think there's 79. But for currently missing. but for William Hartnell, there's episodes where if you wasn't born and watching TV yeah. in the 1960s, you, you just can't see him again. You never seen. You can hear them okay. because people used to tape them off okay. the TV onto their tape recorders. Wow. So we still got um, all the stories. I think we've got all the soundtracks. Yeah. Which means that we could do animations to them. It's interesting. So they started to um, animate a lot of the old first and second Doctor stories. So does this mean like the BBC have had to collaborate with old Doctor Who fans to oh, retrieve yeah, yeah. the archive yeah, yeah. Yeah. works of William Hartnell? And it's, okay. But it's also a guy at high who goes around the world looking for um, Doctor Who stories that have been lost. In fact, um, wow. a few years ago... just So he's like the Indiana Jones yeah, of Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah, around the 50th anniversary, he found two stories in a TV station in Nigeria. Mm. And... Uh, they've seen for the first time in 40 years wow and this happens but um anyway so William Hartnell did three seasons but in his third season he, he he kept forgetting his lines it was getting worse he was harder to work with also all the the original people we've been working with the cast and crew had all left and moved on by then Verity Lambert had moved on mm. all the original companions had moved on yeah. and he felt kind of like he was alone and eventually he had to he had to leave and so next time we'll be talking about how Doctor Who carried on when William Hartnell was too ill to carry on. Okay. Um, how do we feel about that, guys? Yeah, I'm very sad. I've got a couple. I'm not to be flippant, but um, I've got a couple of questions <coughs> about the first incarnation of Doctor Who. Do mm-hmm. you know what time it was shown? Because it has moved around the schedule. Yeah, it was normally shown about five twenty, about 5.30. I mean, and it was shift on a bit, but... Normally, after the football results, after jukebox jury, but before, um, what was it? Oh, was it Tally Goons with Spike Milligan? Yeah. Right. So, so for that time, does that make it a kids' TV show yeah, or I mean, early it was, adults? It was made, it, it, it was a children's show, according to BBC, although it was the only um, children's show made by the drama department. Okay. All the others are made by the children's. Department. I have seen like a early episode. It might even have been the first episode. I know Unearthly Child, which is the Stone Unearthly Age episode, Child, yeah. and it's quite violent. There's one scene where a caveman actually kills another by hitting him with a rock. There's there's one scene in that where the doctor only kills someone by hitting him with a rock, which would never happen in the story after the first episode. But in that, you're still ambiguous about is the doctor a good guy or a bad guy, and it doesn't become clear for. A, a good few stories in season one until it becomes clear, okay, I think we can trust this guy. It's quite dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Stephen, what's your personal viewpoint of um, William Hartnell in the Pantheon? Where do you think he ranks? Well, William Hartnell, he's, well, he's special, isn't he? Because he's the first one. He is the Doctor. He was the only, at the time he was the Doctor, he was the Doctor. Um, 
there've probably been better portrayals, I, I think, but he really, uh, as the first, as the original, as the pioneer, you always have to kind of take your hat off to him. He did actually appear in Doctor Who one more time after he left. Um, in 1973, there was a 10th anniversary story called The Three Doctors, in which the two, in which the three doctors who had appeared already appeared together. Edwin Hartnell was too ill, really, to go to the studio. So they set up a little um, studio in his shed, in his garden, and they filmed two or three inserts that they could have him on the scanner in the TARDIS. Wow. In his garden? <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. He died not long after that, but he got his final appearance. Although nice. the first Doctor, of course, appeared in the last Doctor Who story last Christmas, but being played by David Bradley now. Was that a good portrayal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, yeah. That's yeah. maybe a good place to end it, but um, how do you feel about the early episodes? Are you a fan of them? Yeah, I mean, they're very up and down in quality, and uh, like I said, no, no era experiments more than the first Doctor era, because it was really trying to find its feet and find what it was good at and what it wasn't good at. So there's some awful stories, but there are some fantastic stories as well. Um, the, the Dalek, the first Dalek story is fantastic. Um, you can see why the Daleks were such a hit when they, when they made the... Uh, so, yeah, and then of course um, there's a there's a lovely story called the Time Meddler in which um, the Doctor and the crew they land in um, uh, as the Vikings are invading in Britain in 1066. But there's another because we don't know the Doctor's a Time Lord at this point. We don't we never heard of Gallifrey. We don't know about Time Lords. We don't know about regeneration. We don't know about the Thirteen Lives thing or anything about like that. But um, in the Time Meddler, he finds a a, a modern wristwatch in um, 1066 and which um, and it turns out there's a character played by Peter Butterworth who from the Carry On films playing a guy called the Meddling Monk and that's the first time you see someone from the Doctor's own race um, on the programme apart from the Doctor Nice Nice Is that like um, I don't know would you call that an easter egg today like you know just planting something in there yeah 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 i mean because they were just making up the mythology of doctor who as they went as it went along there was no there's no rules it's whoever took up whoever became the producer whoever became scriptwriter then it was their job something to add to it and they didn't have to um they didn't have to what? I don't know, you're confusing me whether in that thing. Now go on, do, <laughs> go on, finish your sentence. Trevor, stop doing that thing with your hands. It disturbs all of us. I'm not touching my crutch, by the way. Are you sure? I am. Why's I'm the trying. table moving? <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep my hands where everyone can see them. Sorry, go on, Steve. Yeah, I think I've finished. Okay, cool. So, um, Have you finished? I've finished, yeah. So, um, have we... We can we land the plane on this one now? Okay. So um, thank you, Stephen, for your introduction to Doctor Who and William Hartnell. Uh, so we've been listening to the co-presenting skills of uh, the awesome Akash Balf. Bye, guys. Uh, we've been listening also to the co-presenting of the Great Kingdom. Shall for now. And we've also been listening to the troublesome Trevor, uh, your other co-host. And thank you also for controlling for the marvellous MKH Inc. Good day. If you'd like to know more about Geek Sweat episodes, uh, you can find us online via the hashtag 
Geek Sweat. That's hashtag G-E-E-K-S-W-E-A-T. Also, you can find us by looking for hashtag Cult TV, hashtag Hot Topic, or hashtag Innovative Interview, Innovator Interviews. So, uh, we watch films, so to save you hassle. It was inspirational interviews. Okay, sorry, I'll say inspirational interviews. Okay, um, we have. Uh, you can find us with the hashtags, hot topic. Sorry, you can also find us with the hashtag, hot topic. Take your hand off your crotch. You're constantly okay, better. Right. Okay, you can also find us with the hashtag hot topic, hashtag inspirational interviews, and hashtag trailer trash talk. Also, we are available on castbox.fm and stitcher.com. And hopefully, we'll be very available soon on iTunes. We watch films to save you hassle. Over and out. Mm-hmm.